and Second Peter, the books, First and Second Peter, and uh, so as I began to to uh, study and to prepare for that, it I, I know that that Peter is a well-known um, he, he's a well-known figure in the New Testament. Many of us, you know, all of us know about Peter. But I thought maybe it would be good to, to, before we really dig into the books that he wrote, to go back and to look at Peter's life and to, um, to, to, to understand um, what, who Peter was and to try to get a to try to get a perspective as we study through his writings that he wrote to the churches. Um, where was he coming from? What was his experience? <clears throat> Thank you. I can deal with that, I think. Maybe I'll just carry this around anyway. It's something to do. Uh, <clears throat> I had a little note that says I need to use the arrow keys. So, so anyway, I want to uh, I want to begin by by looking at at Peter by going back and uh, yeah, just just starting at the beginning in the New Testament and and seeing studying Peter's life, the ups and downs that he's had, um, and uh, in that. Actually, maybe you better put this away. This, this won't work. <laughs> I'd, like to, um, I'd like to use the first two verses in 1 Peter chapter 1. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the churches of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied. A little later on, I want to look more at the second verse specifically, but in the first verse here, Peter identifies himself and we see here who he is, who he is writing to. Um, Peter wrote to the churches in, in Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, which would have been what is now modern-day Turkey. Just uh, You can see here um, the Mediterranean Sea and Damascus, so Israel would be down behind the boat there. Um, so he, he wrote uh, to the churches there in... in uh, what would now be Turkey. Um, it is, there's a little bit of debate about where he was when he wrote this. In chapter 5 of 1 Peter, we see that he wrote, uh, he identifies himself as being in, in Babylon. There's a slight chance that he was in the actual city of Babylon in, in, in Assyria, but most scholars would believe that he was in Rome. Um, he wrote this towards the end of his life, and, and there's, there's, fairly good documentation that he was crucified in Rome um, around the years 70 or somewhere in that, in that time frame. Um, so 
most likely wrote, wrote from Rome. So, as we, as we take a look at Peter, um, Peter is a, he seems to have been a, quite a character, and we, we find him first in, in, in the book of John, um, when Andrew, his brother Andrew, had been with, he'd been a disciple of John the Baptist, and John the Baptist identifies Jesus as being the Messiah. Andrew follows him, and they, they speak with Jesus. Then Andrew goes back and uh, asks his brother Peter to come. Um, we know that he grew up in Bethsidia on the Sea of Galilee. He was a Galilean. Um, it would appear later on in life that he lived, uh, during the time of Jesus, that he lived in Capernaum, which would have been um, a little further on the southwest side of, or the side of the lake, uh, because we read that at that time when um, Jesus went to his mother-in-law's house, that, that house was, was in Capernaum. But um, both these places weren't very far apart. The Sea of Galilee, was a, there was a... A pretty lively fishing industry built on that lake. Um, the Sea of Galilee is about 13 miles long from north to south and about 8 miles uh, across from east to west. And so it wasn't a real big lake. It's not very deep. And so that lends itself, that, that helps us to... Um, the, the storm, when, when Jesus came walking on the water, it, that lakes that aren't very deep um, tend to, the waves tend to become higher much faster. And so uh, towards the north end especially, there was some, the, the lake was down from the shores some, and, and the way the wind and, and the atmospheric pressure, it was uh, not unusual for a storm to rise up fairly quickly. And because the lake was so shallow, if you were caught in the middle of it in their little boats, you, it was a, a dangerous position to be. We know that he was, he was a partner with James and John, um, the sons of Zebedee, and they had a fishing business there. We read about that in Luke 5. Uh, <clears throat> Fishing at that time, I'd like to imagine, or like for us to think a little bit about so who this man was. Uh, he was a fisherman. Often fishing at that time was done during the night, and they would, what they often would do is they'd go out with two boats, and they would have nets that they would drop between the two boats. Sometimes these nets would be up to um, several hundred feet long and 20 feet deep. Uh, the bottom of the nets would have, would have uh, stone weights on them, and the top would have wood corks or wood floats of some kind, and they would, they would pull this net with the two boats, they would pull it in towards the shore. And then as they got up to the shore, they'd, they'd jump out and they'd, they'd haul this net up on shore, and, and anything that they wanted to keep, they would throw up on the shore, and the rest went back out. 
Um, that's where Jesus used the illustration about the kingdom of heaven being like a dragnet, that at the end of time, the, the good and the bad will be sorted out. Um, that's the kind of net that Jesus would have been talking about. So, and there were some other kinds of nets as well, um, some smaller circular nets that maybe one or two people would use, and they would just throw them out from the bank or from the boat, and then they would, they would haul them back in. And so, if you imagine Peter, um, you know, I know some of you guys are, are fairly well muscled, but, um, you know, these nets would be, would be heavy. And I'm sure, uh, for some reason, we don't know this, but I imagine Peter being fairly big because he was so outspoken. I don't know if that goes together or not, but <laughs> um, at any rate, I would see him as a, as a weathered, strong man. He was... Uh, he was tough and was probably tanned, and the fishing in, in that area, you know, they would do it year-round. Sometimes it would be cold and, and, and nasty, and, and other times it would be hot. You know how hot it can be uh, out on the water, and I, I doubt that they had good polarized sunglasses at that time, so he probably was real kind of squinty-eyed from all the, the glare. Um <coughs> At any rate, uh, we also know that from what happened at the betrayal, that um, he, it says that he, he cursed and swore and said he didn't know the man. Before Peter met Jesus, it would appear he was a fairly rough character. Uh, I can imagine a group of guys out there, yeah, they were, they were Jewish people. They knew the, about the Old Testament, but at that time, before the Messiah came, you know, there wasn't a lot. They had some religion, but they didn't have a relationship with Jesus. And that's where we find Peter. He was, he was, a, he was a rough character. Um, we see again in Luke 5 there, when Jesus had been on the shore and he went out with them and they caught a huge catch of fish that in Luke Five verses nine to eleven, he says, "For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken, and so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid; from now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. It would appear at this point that." or prior to this point, that um, the, their first meeting, they hadn't left everything. They had, they had maybe been with him for some time, but, but it appears at this point that they left their boats, left their business, and they followed Jesus. So we see, Jesus, so we see Peter now as a disciple of Jesus, and interestingly, when as a disciple, we see him as a... It seems that he was kind of the de facto leader. He, he was... Uh, um, he seems to be, when they had questions, Peter was the guy that spoke up and asked the question. If there was something that needed to be said, he would say it. Um, example, Matthew fifteen fifteen. Jesus asked him, well, explain that parable to us. You spoke in parables. We want to know. Um, Peter, asks, Peter asks Jesus, well, how often should I forgive my brother? I don't know if they had conversation about this, but it's Peter that asked the question to Jesus how often is uh, seven times enough? 
And then later in a conversation, Matthew 19, there he reminds Jesus that they, have, they left everything to follow him. And when they walked past the fig tree that Jesus had cursed, it was Peter who spoke up and said, Hey, look, the fig tree. It, uh, it's all withered up. It was Peter that spoke up when, uh, when the crowd was pressing around him and, and uh, the woman that had the issue of blood, she touched the hem of his garment and was healed. And, and Jesus asks, uh, who healed me? Uh, who touched me? And, and it was Peter that reminded well, Master, the people are pressing all around you. There, uh, there's many people touching you. It's Peter that spoke up. And numerous other times we see him, we see him speaking up. He was one of the first ones, he was the first disciple to publicly confess him as the Messiah in Matthew 16. And he was a part of the, the inner circle of Jesus. He was, uh, Peter, James, and John were the, were, the inner, were the three closest disciples. They were present uh, several different times, uh, different things happened. Uh, one was when Jesus raised uh, Jairus' daughter from the dead, it's in Mark 5. Um, he was present at the transfiguration when Jesus went up in the mountain. And he was, he was also present um, in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus took those three with him and, and took them a little further to pray with him, although they fell asleep. Peter and John were, were asked to go to prepare for the, for the Passover meal that they would eat. <coughs> In several instances, Peter showed himself to be impetuous to the point of rash, of, of being, being rash. For example, it was Peter who jumped out of the boat to walk on the water and promptly took his eyes off Jesus and began to sink. Matthew 14, it was Peter who took Jesus aside to rebuke him for speaking of his death in Matthew 16. And remember what, Jesus, what Peter had done just before that. That's in Matthew 16. Just before that, he had professed him to be the Messiah. And Jesus begins to talk about the death that he must die, and Peter takes him aside and begins to rebuke him. The man that he had just said is Lord. And he was immediately corrected by the Lord. It was Peter. Peter also suggested, while they were up on the mountain of the Transfiguration, that maybe they should build three temples for them. Think about how, how impetuous that building three temples. The, the Israelites had spent years building the one temple they had. And here's Peter, he's up on the mountain, and, and Jesus is, is with, uh, he, he's transfigured there, and, and Peter says, well, let's build three temples. It's like, let's just do it. <coughs> And then he immediately fell to the ground and was quiet as God's glory and, and shrouded the place. It was Peter who drew his sword in the Garden of Gethsemane and attacked the, he cut off the high priest's servant's ear. It appears he didn't have a very good plan on who he was going after, but he was going. <clears throat> It was also Peter who boasted that he would never forsake the Lord. And we know the story. We know that later on, that, same very, that very same night, before the rooster crowed, Peter had denied him. Not only denied him, he cursed and swore and said he doesn't know the man. So 
that's the Peter that we see in the Gospels. He is, he is a... He is a tough, strong man in his own strength, and he can take care of anything that comes his way, or so he thought. We see Peter as a very passionate individual. Whatever he did, he did it wholeheartedly. He didn't do anything halfway. He was either all in or not at all. Peter was all in to Jesus, prior to the crucifixion, but he was all in in his own strength. He was excited about finding the Messiah, and he was still at that time, I'm, I'm sure from, from other scriptures we read in the Gospels, expecting an earthly kingdom. <clears throat> However, we see after the resurrection, we see a different Peter. Peter was still passionate. Peter was still all in. But there was a change that occurred. We see a glimpse. We don't know what all took place, but we see a glimpse of that in John 21. There were Peter, uh, where, where they were out fishing. Jesus comes walking on the shore. He prepares breakfast and calls out to them. Peter jumps in the lake, swims up to shore, and they eat breakfast. And after that, uh, Jesus asks Peter if he loves him. And I don't know what all transpired there. Um, we know that Jesus asks Peter, do you love me, love, agape love me? Peter answered, he says, I filial love you, which means to, to like. I just, I like you. You're a good friend, um, but it's not an unconditional love. And then Jesus asks him again. The third time, the third time that Jesus asks, he asks Peter, Do you, Philio, love me? And Peter was grieved and says, Yes, Lord, you know that I agape love you. And somehow it seemed in that in that there was a, a reconciliation made. Jesus asks him to, to feed his sheep. And it's there in that instance that Jesus also uh, prophesies the death that he would die. And then we see Peter next in Acts at the day of Pentecost. Uh, after the Holy Spirit has come and, and there, are, there are men that are suggesting that these these new believers are drunk because of the tongues that they're speaking. Peter stands up and, and preaches a sermon. And again, we see in the sermon a very passionate man, but the passion is now coming from a different source. And we see that throughout Acts. Uh, he healed the lame in, in Acts 3 and, and preached boldly to the Sanhedrin. Now think about this. This is only a short time after the crucifixion. It's very likely that some of the same men that had heard him curse and swear and deny Jesus were sitting in that circle and now heard him preach the, the gospel message of Jesus there in, in Acts 3. <clears throat> he suffered numerous beatings uh, we read about in Acts, was imprisoned several times, but 
every time um, he would go back and preach Jesus. We also see in the Acts, we see a process of sanctification in the life of Peter. Um, one of those is when, when Peter was on the rooftop praying and the sheets were lifted down with the unclean animals. Three times, and, and Peter was wrestling with this, and the voice told him that, that nothing is unclean, that whatever God has, has given is, is clean. And then right after that, there were some men there that came to see him, and they were sent from Cornelius, the Gentile. Um, uh, he'd been an officer in, in the army. And so Peter goes, and, and if we read that, we can, I, we can see the struggle going on, that, that Peter, he, he knew he should go, and he, he went with them, and he preached the gospel, and he witnessed the Holy Spirit falling on these Gentile Christians. <clears throat> Later on, we also see in Acts 15 there, at the consul in, in Jerusalem, Peter was one of the first ones to speak, and he, he preached a, a solid argument for allowing the Gentile Christians to, to or an argument against making them adhere to some of the Jewish um, laws. And he says, no, you know, he, he based it off how he had been called to Cornelius. You know how in times past that he had been called to go to the Gentiles and that they received Jesus Christ just as we do. And we are, we are saved um, not through the Jewish law. However, after that, we see him in, in Antioch, in Galatians 2 there, and Paul writes this, this is now from Paul's perspective, and Paul says that he withstood Peter to his face in front of the others, because Peter had been carried away by some of the Judaizers that were saying, no, we can't eat with the Gentile Christians. Peter actually withdrew himself from eating with the Gentile Christians, and he didn't eat with them. And so, this was, a, this was a big deal in Peter's life, and it took him some time before he... Um, so, so we see the process of sanctification. Even though Peter was, was passionate at the um, time of Pentecost and preached a, a solid gospel he still needed to grow and mature in, in his Christian walk. Imagine passionate, tough, outspoken Peter being confronted by Paul. Scripture doesn't tell us, but I just don't think that Peter took that lightly. That had to sting. That... And he, he didn't take him outside and do it. He did it right in front of everybody else. He said, hey, look, you are not, this is not how we should, how, how you, this is not how, what you have taught. Thankfully, Peter humbled himself and, and repented. <clears throat> we know later on in life, Peter spent some time with John Mark. Uh, we read about that in, in, in chapter 5 of First Peter. Um, that is the... Uh, 
It's where Mark got the information for writing the Gospel of Mark. And then Peter himself wrote the two epistles, First and Second Peter. <clears throat> Jesus had prophesied that Peter would die a martyr's death. And, and tradition has it that he was crucified upside down in Rome. And the early church writers corroborate the fact that he was crucified in Rome. However, I, I don't know, I, I've never seen anything in writing about him being crucified upside down. Um, we know that at that time, his wife was also crucified and, and the early church writers testified to how he, he faithfully, he encouragingly called out to her to remember the Lord. <clears throat> well, I'd like to go back to our scripture now. <clears throat> And I'd like, to, I'd like to learn here a little bit with the um, pilgrims of the dispersion. Uh, specifically from the second verse. The first phrase there of, second ver of the second verse. This is, this is really, this is a part of Peter's greeting. But there's so much in here that we can learn um, that it, it, it seems in a way, you know, he's writing, he's going to write a letter to these people. And so as a way of his greeting, this is what he writes. Um, it's almost as, you know, he didn't really intend for this to be the lesson. And yet, this, this phrase in verse 2, I believe, in, in some sense, the whole essence of the gospel is packed right into these few words. It says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Is the first phrase I'd like to look at. And I have, in, in previous years, I have wrestled some with this, the, a verse like this, where, we, where it seems that God has elected specially elected certain people, maybe. However, the word elect simply means chosen. <clears throat> and it is the specific will of God that all men would come to repentance. And Peter is simply stating, Peter is simply saying, what is the complete will of God for all of us? Not just the original readers, but for all of us. So he, he makes a statement about what is the, the perfect will of God. And, and sometimes I, uh, to move on to read this verse, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So it's through verses like this that we can see that God has not just chosen a certain few, but that all of us. And I'd like to, I'd like to 
read to you a quote from, from John Wesley. Um, John Wesley was a, he was a preacher back in the 1700s, and he was right in, in the middle of the of debate or maybe the, the, of the doctrine of predestination. That at, it seems today maybe that has, it's not quite as prevalent maybe, or it has maybe watered down a little bit, but um, that doctrine, as taught by John Calvin, literally he believed, John Calvin would have taught, that God has elected some of you to be saved and God has elected some of you to be damned. And in essence, how we lived really wasn't that important because you were predestined and he would base it on verses like this. <laughs> this is what John Wesley writes on the subject refuting that doctrine. Strictly speaking, there is no foreknowledge, no more than afterknowledge with God. But all things are known to him as present. From eternity to eternity. You see, as finite men, we are trapped in time. And we cannot, we cannot reason or think outside of time. But God can. Election, in the scriptural sense, is God's doing anything that our merit or power has no part in. The true predestination or for appointment of God is this, and he lists three things. He that believeth shall be saved from the guilt and power of sin. Number two, he that endureth to the end shall be saved eternally. They who receive the precious gift of faith thereby become the sons of God. And being sons, they shall receive the spirit of holiness to walk as Christ also walked. So that's what Peter is saying here, is that we are, we, this is God's will and God's plan for us, that we are chosen. Let's go on. <clears throat> In sanctification of the Spirit, we are sanctified, set apart. The word sanctified, sanctify means to, to set apart and sealed by the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Paul again writes that in Ephesians, basically the same thing. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in him also, in, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Now, it would help us to understand what he's talking about here a little bit if we understood Jewish weddings. I'm sure that these readers 
knew immediately what he was talking about. If a groom or if, if the father arranged a wedding and he would, he would pay a price and there was a, there was a, there was a gift left as a guarantee that the groom would come again. So the, so the groom actually, after the wedding was arranged, would go and meet the bride and would leave a gift. And then he would go back and prepare the bride chamber and at some point would come back to get his bride. But that time often was nobody knew for sure when he's coming. But they would, have a, they would have the gift that he brought as a guarantee that at some point in time he is coming again. And so this is what Paul is writing about, that Jesus has left us the gift of the Holy Spirit as a guarantee that he will come again as the groom for his bride. Jesus himself talks about that when he says that it is needful that he must go so that, so that the Comforter can come. So we are, all of us are called, we are set apart, we are guaranteed that the groom will come again because we have the Spirit. We are sealed by the Spirit. We are set apart for a life of obedience and the sprinkling of blood of Jesus Christ. Now, again, if we understand some of the traditions in the Old Testament, this this phrase begins to to have a clear understanding. Remember back in Exodus, <coughs> Exodus 24, verses 3 to 8, this is just after God had given Moses the Ten Commandments. And Moses is presenting them to the people. So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said we will do. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord, and he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. Then he sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in the basins, and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, All that the Lord has said we will do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to these words, according to what they had just said. You see, God had made a covenant with his people here in in Exodus, and then this was their response. They say, 
All that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. Their response to the covenant was to be obedient. As a seal of that obedience, of that promise, Moses sprinkled the blood over the people. And so, in the same way, with us today, Jesus has came, he has made a new covenant with us, and in the same way as in the days of Moses, we are called to be obedient to his teachings. Our part of that covenant is to be obedient to take up our cross and follow after him. I'd like to look at a scripture that I think is often used out of context. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And we often stop there. However, Paul doesn't stop, for he says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It is the plan, it is the complete plan of God that the way this covenant works is that we will worship him in obedience. That is the, the completion of that covenant. The free gift is not a free gift if we do not complete the covenant by our worship of him through our obedient lives. <clears throat> I'd like to continue my quote from John Wesley. This is right after what I just read. Throughout every part of this appointment of God, promise and duty go hand in hand. All is free gift. And yet, such is the gift that it depends on the final issue on our future obedience to the heavenly call. But other predestination than this, either to life or eternal or death eternal, the scripture knows not of. So, John says it is all free gift, and yet it is not free gift if we are not obedient to his calling. So, in closing, and as we consider Peter, the man who wrote these words, I would like for us to see how this Peter wrote this, this scripture out of his own experience, or out of his, the words he, Peter experienced what he wrote about. Peter had been called. Peter, more than once, Peter had been called to follow after. Peter followed after and stumbled, and followed after and cursed God, and followed after again. And we see the progression of Peter. And then, so he, he writes to these, to these people the, that we are all... <coughs> Uh, 
that it is the, the perfect will of God that we are all called. <clears throat> Peter experienced the Holy, Holy Spirit, the power to live beyond or above his carnal nature. We see him preaching sermons that didn't come from his own power. We see him healing. We see him fearlessly addressing the Sanhedrin that had just a few weeks or two months prior crucified his Lord. Peter had experience being sealed by the Holy, Holy Spirit. Peter had also experienced the call to, to obedience. Uh, Jesus himself, feed my sheep. Um, Jesus had prophesied that he would be crucified. Paul rebuked him, and, and Peter repented. This morning, I would like to call us, to exhort us to, with Peter, I'd like to go back to the, to the crucifixion when Peter was in the courtyard and he was asked the third time, do you know this man? And Peter cursed and swore and said, I do not. The rooster crowed and Peter looks up and he meets Jesus. And we read, Peter went out and wept bitterly. At that moment in time, Peter met the Lord. Peter recognized who he was in front of the Almighty God. And Peter recognized that who he is because of what he has done he will, is, is not good enough. And he... He went out and wept bitterly. I would also like to call us to when Jesus calls again. When you're in the boat like Peter was, and Jesus calls again, dive off the boat and swim for shore. Follow after Jesus. Be obedient to him. like to pray and then James I'll ask you to close <clears throat> Father thank you so much that you have loved us thank you that you are thank you that you are God that you have called us that we are sealed by your spirit Lord we give you thanks Father we pray that you would empower us to live victoriously in obedient lives to you just pray this in Jesus name Amen